0: Right. Um. So then, I guess we're on to man- So, ooh. um. So important for the management, I guess, is to know whether they have a history of cardiac failure or not. Or it's helpful to know if they have a history of cardiac failure or not. Um. So if they if they do, if you can have a look at the notes, if they do have happened to have had an echo in the past, lots of pre-op pati- um, patients post-op have had, a couple example, pre-op echoes, etc. Um. But you know, many patients won't have had one, so you have to kind of also make some sort of clinical judgment. Um based on previous notes and your clinical examination. But as a general rule of thumb, if their um, left ventricular function is impaired as less than 40% is severely impaired, then we would go with Digoxin. Um, in In this situation, I guess, when you'd want to go with an IV dose normally, I mean, um but you, i suppose you could go with an oral one depending on you know, various factors um and you want to the most importantly adjust for the renal function so it's important to have a look at the you won't have had recent bloods back but i think just look at the renal function in terms of um adjusting your loading doses accordingly um do you want to add anything there Valerie? just
1: about um just, oral, is there any... uh, just 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 to be very clear so we're obviously uh we're talking about some of the management management here because we've we talk about lv function and what you've got from the notes but before we talk before we talk about the actual management and the medications you want to use obviously it's very important to do a full a to E assessment um now the point where you need iv access uh things like bedside bedside investigations so you want to do your chest x-ray you do done your ecg you might ask then for a bedside echo uh and then you go on to again with any unwell patient always get a gas uh and that will give you a Quick idea right there, electrolytes and how unwell they are, um, and then and, the, and then we can go on to management. So in this, when we talk about digoxin uh, and beta blockers, what we're saying here is that this is what we give patients when we're considering rate control. So digoxin and beta blockers. The big difference between the two is that a beta blocker is negatively chronotropic and negatively inotropic. What that means is it drops the heart rate and also drops the blood pressure. Whereas digoxin is negatively chronotropic but positively inotropic, so it will drop the heart rate, but it will uh, be relatively sparing to the blood pressure, and it may actually help the blood pressure slightly. So that's why in those patients with heart failure, we tend to uh, we tend to opt for um, digoxin as the rate control choice rather than beta blockers. In, base with, in patients with good re, uh, good heart heart function, we opt for beta blockers, uh, but obviously the choice of What we use is also dependent on the blood pressure.
0: Yeah. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so I think, I mean, based on that, you wanted to give a loading dose of digoxin. I don't know if doses are um, required really at the in 2 but maybe for digoxin, I mean, possibly it's either, I guess, 500 at least in the first instance. And then you titrate the next loading dose based on what the renal function is um at least six hours later. So it's just something to know, but I'm not sure. I mean, if you're not confident of the doses if you're not experienced, I wouldn't go into that because then they can easily it's something they can pull you up on. So
1: yeah, yeah. Give, give definitely give the interviews as little as possible to pull you up on. So you <laughs> say appropriate digoxin loading six hours, six hours apart, uh, that shows that you've just got experience on loading joxin And if you went one further and talked about what Nandita was saying, so appropriate digoxin loading, uh taking into account their renal function and their weight, then that's a clear five out of five points because uh, those are the things that uh, that uh, actually dictate how much digoxin we give. them I mean, for your interest's sake, and honestly, it's you know, probably somewhere between 500 micrograms, um, uh, 500 micrograms, and um, one milligram of actual uh, that we use as our loading dressing, doses for digoxin. And then a the maintenance dose of anywhere uh, you know, between 62.5 and 125 rarely do you use anything as high as
0: 250 micrograms yeah and then i think um so digoxin is obviously one option there if their LV function is known to be quite good and they're not actually clinically in heart failure, i mean you can go with um again beta blockers or with uh drugs such as diltiazem or rapamil as well less commonly used in clinical practice and people i think are generally just less familiar with them yeah. um but so i think you know beta blockers are a safe bet in that instance especially if there's no clear evidence of pulmonary edema or anything like that and easy to titrate as well I think one important point that people often um, that we often get called about and from nurses as well as from other doctors and you know things that we worry about as well is how aggressively to control the heart rate in the first instance and it's really tempting obviously the new score will always be high in a patient with a heart rate of uh, you know above 110 or something Um, and it's quite tempting to just keep wanting to beat a block further keep trying to aggressively chase the heart rate but actually I've learned over time that it's more of a clinical assessment and you have to kind of it doesn't matter it's actually a lot of the cardiology teams seem to um say that you know you don't have to be so hard on the um, controlling the heart rate so early on you know, a heart rate of 110 or 120 is acceptable in the initial few days um or at least in the first 24 hours when you're trying to first get on top of the air for the first time uh, as long as the patient is obviously comfortable and hemodynamically stable and not having chest discomfort from this um so i think and i think it's one of the things that after your at assessment you'd want to say to the interviewers you know, after i've initiated the management I think it'd be quite nice if i want to make sure there's a clear follow-up plan for the patient to be reviewed um, and for their medications to be titrated accordingly to what the heart rate does, just to show that you're kind of thinking about this is not just my patient in this moment of time, but actually I need to make sure I'm responsible for the continuity of care of this patient as
1: well. So. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's rate control sorted. So I think uh, the next thing we took think about is rhythm control. So that's in patients that you want to try and pharmacologically convert them back to sinus rhythm. So your two main options here are either flecainide or amiodarone. Now, flecainide, I think, always know that whenever you mention flecainide, you have, to, you have to mention that this should only be used in patients with a structurally normal heart um, because otherwise there's a high risk of sudden cardiac death. Um, so uh, I would, you could say, if the patient has a structurally normal heart, which is normally our younger patients, we can try flecainide uh, to cardiovert them back to signs rhythm. If they've got not got structural normal heart, but we want to pursue a rhythm control strategy. Then the next, uh, the other option is amyldrone. But amyldrone, if you want to start amyldrone, they should have baseline TFTs, liver function tests, and uh, pulmonary function tests, uh, and a chest x ray. And that's because amyldrone can cause thyroid, thyroid disease, liver disease, and pulmonary fibrosis. Um, but if you so. In my mind, whenever I think about talking about these two drugs, I always know flaconide, I'm going to say mm-hmm. need to have a structurally normal heart, and amiodarone, great, but need to make sure I'm monitoring the liver, the thyroid, and the and the lungs. Um, and you can't get too far wrong with that. Obviously, in an IMT interview, you should be talk. You should know about these things, and you can talk about them. But before you talk about any kind of uh, significant management management for AF. So apart from just the initial rate control, you will have, you will at this point, of course, discuss it to your registrar, who may actually want to also discuss this even more so with the cardiology team about what to use, but to show that you as an IMT know that the option, so you could say, I could I could think about uh, initiating simple rate control myself, which might involve beta blockers, uh, beta, beta blockers and digoxin based on their uh, ejection fraction and their blood pressure. And in terms of, uh, rhythm control strategies I've discussed with my reg- with my registrar, but pharmacological rhythm control strategies are things such as flecainide, which we need to structure normal heart, or amiodrin, where you need to monitor the with lung function tests, uh, and liver function tests, um, and that's I think entirely appropriate. But you, obviously, this is just a knowledge video to give you the knowledge, but we do want to make sure you remember that you know, this is this is all stuff that you're doing with your registrar and with the team. Um, and the other thing to finally add, which we maybe haven't uh, emphasised too much at the start, we talked about the other drivers behind AF. When you talk about the management of AF, um, the first thing you should always say is, "I, if there is an underlying cause, I would manage and treat the underlying cause uh, before I think about any further uh, specific rate control. So if they're dehydrated or they're septic uh, or they've got electrolyte abnormalities, I would treat that first before thinking about even thinking about treating AF, and that's incredibly important. And the second thing, you, then, you must mention, um, once we talk about rate and rhythm control, which we spoke about earlier, is they need to be appropriately anticoagulated as per their CHADS-VAS score and bleeding risk. And that's, and that's AF in a nutshell. It's, it can make people very worried, and I appreciate that. Um, but actually, when you break it down, there are just two facets to it. Are you going for rate control or rhythm control? or you can do a bit bit of both. Um, You can slow them down and then try and opt for rhythm control and have you appropriately protected them from risk of stroke. And that's it. Great. That's
0: probably it, isn't
1: it? I think so. Um, Great. All right, guys. And uh, yeah, there'll be some uh, associated clinical scenarios uh, where you can see how we answer these kind of questions. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks.
0: Bye.